Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Abba, we bless your name again for uh, bringing us to this place. We know that you are faithful to uh, teach us and to um, instruct us in righteousness. And Father, we know that uh, your intense love for us uh, is, is shown and, and uh, it's felt throughout our community. And so we, we look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Holy Spirit, we know that you have preserved the words of the book of Galatians for us to, um, to grow and to challenge us and to shape our lives. Um, and so we ask that you would uh, again open the words of this letter to us so that we can uh, begin to grasp the content therein. Thank you for preserving the letters. Thank you for um, helping the first century believers to get through a difficult social situation. And we know that um, potentially our, our um, communities... Um, could fall into the same trap. And so we pray that you will continue to guide us through these difficult times, especially as Jews and Gentiles uh, uh, bump into one another and try to walk out uh, the Torah together as a community. Um, pray for, uh, or, well, we ask for you to strengthen us. We, we, we pray that uh, as others look on and seek to, um, to understand what we're doing, why are you guys following the Torah? Aren't you going back under the law? Things like that. We know that there is a great uh, um, possibility for misunderstanding between the Christian community and the Messianic, and so uh, we ask for grace and mercy as we uh, try to learn from one another. And so help us, Father, as we study again tonight, as we draw this uh, triad to a close, um, help us to enjoy the season that's upon us, the season of light, the season of Hanukkah. Um, may we draw close to you in all that we do. In Yeshua's name we say this. Amen. Come in. All right. You're just in time. I haven't taken attendance yet, so I'm running a little late myself. I had to help Peter Dean set up his class, and his class starts at the same time as my class. So, All right. I, um, I, ga- I, handed you a, I gave you a handout last week page 29 and 30, which is a one-pager. We'll finish up this with that. We'll finish up this semester, of, of whatever you call it, triad, with that, with that discussion, which will really bring us to the end of chapter 2. Um, what I also want to say is, uh, I already gave you the homework assignment, those of you who are in the class. What I'd like you to do also for the very last class, because I'd like it to be a question and answer, a she'elut ut shuvot class. That means questions and answers. Um, I'd like you to jot down, and, and I'll, I'll give you a very broad uh, 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 palette to choose from. I'd like you to jot down a question, a questionable Paul passage. 
and I will let you go beyond Galatians to fit to find one. It could be any one of Paul's letters. Don't choose Hebrews because I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews, and I'm not prepared to discuss that right now. Um, so choose any one of his letters. It can be something in Corinthians. It can be out of Romans. Um, anything. Um, find a passage that you. Uh, would like to chat about in class, and what we'll do is we'll, at the beginning of class, I'll bring like one of the little um, uh, offering plates, and we'll take, so jot your little suggestion down on a little piece of paper, and we'll put them all in the hat and mix it up, and we'll pull out and answer as many of them as we can, or dress them as a class. Now that we've had some, put some hermeneutic keys into Paul's hands, I believe it will be easier to, to chart through some of Paul's um, um, difficult to understand sayings. For instance, as I, as I purported... This thing has issues. Um, as I purported uh, last week, the old, the familiar Ephesians passage, for by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. Um, traditionally, if you pull up any Christian commentary, or you ask most Christian common, uh, pastors and such, or just Christians in general, what are the works in that passage, they'll tell you it's self-effort. But since we know the first century Judaisms weren't teaching a self-effort-based relationship with God, albeit I, I, I understand that you could take the identity issue and, and couch that in the language of self-effort if you think about it. Um, but but not in the way that the Christian uh, church has, has caricatured it, like uh, like uh, Luther would say. Self-effort as in, let me strive in Torah to get to that righteousness. If we understand works there, oftentimes Paul will use shorthand and we found it out in, you know, using circumcision as shorthand. Elsewhere he uses, we're going to find out tonight that he uses the word Torah by itself, just shorthand for, for um, the, the um, halakhic version of Torah versus the God-given version of Torah. So if he says, not of works, as any man should boast, and it is the same Greek word as our works of law, ergon namos, it is ergon, it's possible, in fact, if you look at the context, whenever, in fact, I'll just give you the clue. Whenever in his chapter he takes great pains to explain the equality of Jews and Gentiles, that's usually the identity issue that he's talking about. If he brings up Jews and Gentiles in the passage, and he talks about how either the Gentiles, and usually it's how that the Gentiles who were out there have been brought near, then, and of course Ephesians chapter 2 is all about that, right? You know, you were once far off, you former Gentiles, all that stuff. It's within that context that he tells us, you know, for by grace are you saved through faith. So, why would he have to explain that not of works? It, I, I'm of the impression that the works there are short for works of law. If that, th- That's what he means. Not of works of law, lest any man should boast. And where would the boasting come in? Who would be boasting against whom? Not of works, lest any man should boast. We always, again, I've heard sermons, and I'm not saying that it's not theologically true that that there aren't works that can't get you in. That is theologically true, but unfortunately that misses the point. So in the traditional argument, and I see your hand because you're going to go somewhere. In the traditional argument, we have not of works lest any man should boast. As if I should say, you know, hi, how you doing, Alan? I, I pray three times a day. How about you? Is that what we're talking about when we say works lest any man should boast, you know? But really, if it's works of law, which is we understand to be a whole halakhic mindset that says Gentiles can't get in as Gentiles then where, what would the boasting be? That's part of it. Um, in fact, in Galatians, excuse me, in chapter 6, Paul's going to talk about how that 
the influencers just seek to make converts so that they can, so, so to say, notch their belt. And that is one way to kind of say, look how many converts I have. Because there was this competition, and there still is, to kind of swell the numbers and to kind of get your group to uh, uh, you know, increase based on uh, the guys that, you know, the, 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 your missionaries that are out there proselytizing. Yes, David? That's going to be more closer to it, although yours is going to, it's, it's going to catch what you said too. And the proof is in what we talked about last week. We're Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. That's boasting. That's the boasting Paul's talking Not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works, lest the Jews should be allowed to boast. To boast that they are not Gentiles. In fact, the polar opposites that are described in that sentence, which we described last week as not coming from Paul, we're Jews by birth. He could have just said, we're Jews, not Gentiles. But he qualified each of them, which is why we say it's not Paul. We're Jews by birth, as opposed to what other kind of Jew? Convert. Convert. Yeah. It shows you that there's still a pecking order, even though the Jews by birth are still looking down at the converts. To this day, it's a, and it's right in the Talmud, it's a halakhic no-no, to remind the convert that his parents were Gentiles. Because that's to speak down on him. But that doesn't stop it from happening. <laughs> Still happens. You know, you look at your parents. You're just a Gentile. Uh, say, so we're Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Not Gentile converts. No, no, Gentile sinners. That's like the worst of the worst. So, what I wanted, I felt that... Um, some have questioned my uh, liberty that I took with saying that that's not Paul's uh, voice and saying that. So I thought I'd give you a second and third opinion. Here's James, I'm sorry, here's uh, Tim Haig's commentary. Go ahead and take one and pass it down. It's a, it's a one-pager, front and back. Uh, Tim Haig wrote a uh, lengthy commentary, and I just pulled a piece out of the middle of it. And I want to read one little part. And you know what? I have to take one. One of these one of these that you guys have, I think. Hold on, let me see. Maybe I have mine in here. Nope, I'm good. Okay. When you get one, um, pass up the extras. And I'll look at this real quick, and then I'll visit the other page. This is a carryover from last week. This is Haig's study on Galatians. It is available on his website for... Uh, if Tim Haig, if you're listening to this audio, if you ever get around to listening to it or ever get a chance to listen to it, I'm giving you a free plug. Um, people can get his uh, commentary not for free, unfortunately. It's about 30 or 40 or 50 bucks. I can't remember exactly how much it is. Uh, but it's, um, <clears throat> it's written plus audio notes. About 100 and... No. Two, do you remember how many pages it is, uh, Ryan? 168, 268, something like that. Uh, 170-something. I think it's in the 200s myself, but um, it's it's pretty lengthy. It's verse by verse, and he, he's wordy. And um, But it also comes with audios for each of the sessions, kind of like what we did. He took an hour long for each session, and uh, and so he reads his commentary and expounds on it. It's kind of where I picked up on the format of writing something, then reading it to you and uh, ex- expositing on it. So... Um, let's pick up his uh, discussion real quick. I just want to read one little part from it. And then you can kind of see where I'm even getting some of my language. Turn with me to page 67. That's the first part. 
And, and you see the verses quoted there. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Verse 16, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the Torah, but through faith in Messiah, Yeshua, even we have believed in Messiah, Yeshua, so that we may be justified by faith in Messiah, not by works of the Torah, since by the works of the Torah no flesh will be justified. In case you're wondering what version he rendered that from, I think it's the, what does he use, the ASV or the NASB? And then he, um, he does a global search for Jesus and changes it. Kind of like what Mark and them do. He uh, cosmetically changes it. There's no, this is no true version. It's his own version. If, he's taken, uh, if you know what I mean. But anyway, he takes this and he talks about how that, um, that this is this digging quote, this phrase, um, uh, um, we're Jews by nature, not sinners from among the Gentiles. Look down, ju- drop down to the one... Drop down to the second major paragraph near the bottom of the page. It's just past the half. It's after the quote that says the ESV does essentially the same thing as the NSRV and the CJB is no better. And then he starts talking about it. It starts out with what the translators, everybody following me? Let's read that real quick. What the translators, quote, this is a quote from Tim Haig. What the translators and most of the commentators miss, in my opinion, is that verse 15 contains the statement of the direct dialogue between Paul and Peter begun in verse 14. Only verse 15 is a kind of digging quote from the Jerusalem party themselves. In other words, Paul is reiterating the mantra of the Jerusalem people when he says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. In other words, when he says to Peter, we're Jews by birth, not sin. He's not, those, aren't, those aren't Paul's thoughts. They're Paul's words, but they're not Paul's thoughts. It would be highly negative of the apostle to the Gentiles to say that to anyone, really, to Jew, Gentile, or anyone. It, just, it doesn't even need to be brought out. But the fact that he's saying it to Peter, he's trying to shock him back into reality. Picking up the quote again, remember, Paul is most likely have likely recounting, at least by giving the colonel thoughts of the confrontation in Antioch. Having asked Peter the stinging question, why he compels the Gentiles to live like Jews, when he himself, by eating with the Gentiles, would be classed by his own group as living like the Gentiles, Paul quotes perhaps a bit tongue-in-cheek, which is exactly what I said last week, the primary premise of the party of the circumcision. Quote, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's kind of like their slogan. This is not Paul's perspective, but that of the influencers. And James D.G. Dunn agrees with Tim Haig, of whom I agree with. So now you have at least three people saying the same thing. Just so you guys know that I'm not making it up on my own. And now here's the quote from James D.G. Dunn. This language rings oddly on the lips of Paul until we realize what he is doing. Paul was putting himself in the shoes of a typical Jew who looked out at the rest of the world as outside the realm of God's covenant righteousness and sinful. There's a a reference to Ephesians there. More to the point, he was using the language of typical Jewish factionalism. Which was already which was ready to condemn those Jews who disagreed with the sect's interpretation of what the law required as sinners outside their sectarian understanding of the covenant, which meant, of course, from the sectarian viewpoint outside the covenant. All of this is highly intra-Jewish language, which is why the church gets lost in Galatians, because Paul uses a lot of lingo that's familiar to him and his fellow chavarim, his fellow Jews, but. 2,000 years divorced from the context, we don't have a clue what Paul's saying. The quote continues from Dunn. In fact, Paul was probably echoing the language used by the individuals from James when they spoke against the Jewish Christians' table fellowship with the Gentile believers. Such table fellowship with Gentile sinners was unacceptable. End quote. Now turn the page over, and I'll just read this, the last one, two, three paragraphs. 
This is Haig again speaking. Quote, Thus, when Paul writes, quote, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, unquote, he is deliberately using the language of those who are distancing themselves from the Gentiles and encouraging the Gentiles to become proselytes in order to leave the status of sinner and enter the circle of Jews by birth. See, notice how the, the statement, we're Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, both have modifiers. And so they're technical terms that are even being um, put forth in such a way as to really say what they really mean. Um, Jews by birth. Thus, I'm sorry, this being the case, verse 15 is a continuation of the dialogue or rhetoric of verse 14. That's why I read the two back to back last week. We might paraphrase the two verses this way. Now, this is an interesting paraphrase. This is uh, Haig's paraphrase, so listen to it. Quote, if you, this is Paul talking to Peter. If you, being a Jew, participate with Gentiles, even though the community halakha you have is against doing so, why do you compel the Gentiles to follow your halakha when you're not even willing to be consistent? Don't you hear the argument of your hovering, that's your, your fellow study buddies, don't you hear the argument of your hovering ringing in your ears? We're Jews, not Gentile sinners. <laughs> End quote. This is not the last time that we will find Paul quoting the stock cliches of the influencers. And it will be important for us to keep our eyes open for this kind of rhetoric, rhetorical device as we follow Paul's arguments. I just want to give you guys that so you can kind of see that, number one, Ariel's not alone out there just charting waters, doing his own thing. Um, Tim Haig is miles above me as far as research and scholarship is concerned, in my opinion. Um, and James D.G. Dunn is miles above Tim in Tim's opinion. So... I'm just standing on the shoulders of giants who've gone before me, who've studied this out. Unfortunately, again, th what you just read here is the minority. You pull up any standard Christian ap uh, uh, apologetic on this passage, and they're not even going to say anything close to what we just said. It's, it's not even going to be in the same ballpark, in my opinion. So, let's turn now to page 29 of the commentary that I handed you last week, so that we can finish up chapter 2. And what we'll do tonight is get a kind of a teaser for the next semester. In other words, this semester, we or triad or whatever you call it, we focused a lot on the identity issue and the background and the whole um, works of law scenario be being shorthand for conversion to Judaism. And then what we're going to do now is move into sections where Paul kind of breaks off into different... He, he talks about the functions of the law for a while. He talks about Papa Abraham for a while. He talks about... Um, um, uh, what it means to be filled with the Spirit as opposed to what it means to live by the walk by the flesh. And so he's going to hit different areas, but he set up for his readers, he set up the, the background as if you guys were the original recipients of the letter and I'm Paul kind of teaching it to you. He, he, he wrote it the way that he wanted you guys to catch it. So I think we're doing a pretty good job in that sense. For those of you who are a little frustrated that we're not going faster, um, I apologize. Um, if you think we're going slow, let me know. If you think we're going too fast, let me know. I'll see what I can do about that either way. I am a teacher, obviously. right? I can, I can affect that. But everybody have the handout from last week? Who doesn't have the handout? Who needs one? Okay, no problem. I brought them. Let me just find it here. All right, all right. It's 20... It, it is... Yeah, it says verse 19 at the top, and it's page 29 down at the bottom. How many? Raise your hand again. Who needs them? One, two, just two? There's one, and can you pass that back to John? Thanks. Is it online? It's 24. Yeah. The reason the page numbers are different is because I, I have a version on my computer that I'm continually editing and adding, 
And so the one online is not moving according to my edits because I don't want to add just like I change one. Ver- I add one verse and then I upload it. I don't want to do that. I want to add like significant portions and then change the one online. So the people online, uh, uh, Chris brought out a point. The people online don't have the version that you guys have. You guys have the most updated version. Well, you have the second most updated version. I have the updated version. All right. So everybody have me have the version now. We're ready to look at the top verse nineteen. Paul's going to now start uh, talking about this, the the function of the law. Because at this point in time, you you have to kind of be fair. If it's all about identity and it's all about faith and it's all about Jesus, you know what what do we need the law for? At at one point in time, Paul's just going to come out and ask. What purpose does the law serve? Because possibly when he's writing, he's thinking, you know what, I've pushed my readership into a corner where they just realize that the law plays really no function as far as our getting into God's presence. And they might now come to the uh, um, um, wrong conclusion that maybe the law is just not needed at all. In fact, that's the conclusion the church came to. Is that, gosh, the, you know, we, we pushed ourselves into this corner of faith so far that, you know what, the law is really is just, we don't need it. We've outgrown it. It's out, whatever. So, Paul, he starts to introduce this concept of the true Torah. So he says in verse 14, or verse 19, now this is my commentary if you're listening, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Now, this verse taken out of context is a favorite for those who are anti-Torah. Paul is telling right here, I died to the law. I'm like, yeah, but he says through the law I died to the law. Explain that one. Most commentators are going to focus on the second clause. I died to the law so that I might live for God. But then I ask him, well, explain the first part. For through the law, he died the law. They don't usually give a, an adequate explanation. And um, I don't know if we're ever going to read J. Vernon McGee's version. We'll see. We'll get to it. I don't know. I, I, uh, we'll see. All right, here's my comments. At first blush, this verse seems to spell the end of any Torah relevance for the apostle. It really does. But a careful reading will reveal its true meaning. The verse starts out with the Greek word for, which is gar. Actually, I think it's um, the the G has a different sound. I think it's I don't think it's G all the time. It might be something else. But I'm learning Greek. So, but for the now for now, I think it's Gar, which is a conjunction indicating that it is linked to a previous argument, because he says for. So to get the context, the running context, we, I really should have done a comment on verse 17, which I didn't. So apologize. I may go back some version and clean that up and add verse 17, so that verse 19 makes a little more sense. But for the moment, it seemed to make sense to me. <laughs> Um, in this case, Paul's four represents an answer to the if clause introduced in verse 17. And then I just give it to you right here. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes on, which is a difficult verse as well. I suppose I think I, I think I'm going to need to go revisit it. The key to understanding verse 19 is in answering exactly how we as individuals in verse 17 come to be made aware that we ourselves are sinners. Okay, Prior to his salvation experience, Shaul was blinded to his true condition, which is what? Dead in trespasses and sin. In fact, let me pause. The proof of it is in another book, Paul describes himself as regarding the law, blameless. Because when you are measuring yourself by your own standard, you can reach perfection. It's only when the Spirit of God looks into your life and shows you what you really look like. In fact, some people are fond of saying that the closer you press into the spirit and and to God the more you start realizing how inadequate you are the more the light the more more of God's light that shines in on your life the more and more you start realizing oh, I'm so inadequate so it's it's the people who aren't really close to God that say you know what I'm doing pretty good 
Yeah, well, Paul had reached the point where, outside of the Spirit of God, he'd reached nirvana. He'd reached perfection. He said, he calls it blameless. Regarding the Torah of God, blameless. He thought he was all right. Okay, prior to his salvation experience, Paul was blinded to his true condition, dead in trespasses and sin. However, now that the Spirit has taken up residence within him, via the sacrificial death of Yeshua, he can look back on how the Torah played a part in bringing him to this newfound revelation about himself. The Torah, working in concert with the Spirit of God, which, by the way, is the way it should work. Too much Torah, not enough Spirit, dead person. Too much Spirit, not enough Torah, crazy person. <laughs> we need a balance of both. Really? <laughs> I mean, I don't know how else to describe it, but you know what I mean. Yeah, too much spirit, not enough Torah. You know, you can sit in your basement and come up with all kinds of revelations. The Spirit of God told me to leave my wife and go after my secretary. I'm like, you've got too much spirit, buddy. You need to back off the helium and get come back down to earth. Um, and then too much Torah without any spirit is what you'll find in most Orthodox circles. So we don't want a, we don't want to be imbalanced in either one. We want a healthy dose of spirit and Torah. But at either rate, the Torah working in concert with the Spirit of God revealed sin for what it was. And what is sin? Violation of God's righteous standard. Thus, through the Torah, and I should have put that in quotes, because that's what Paul says, for through the law I died to the law. Through the Torah, that is through its proper function of revealing and condemning sin, the individual is brought to the goal of the Torah, namely the revelation of the Messiah himself. Remember that example that Paul gives in... Well, I can't say remember because we technically haven't gotten to it in our study in Galatians, but if you've, if you've read Galatians before, you know how Paul describes the Torah as a pedagogos, pedagogos, I'm sorry, the boy teacher, the boy tutor that leads them to Messiah. That's, that's what he's talking about for through the law. It's, it's, it's almost like he's saying the, 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 the pedagogos did its job. Once faced with the choice to remain in sin or be set free by the power of the blood, and I do believe we get the choice. God opens our eyes, we get the choice. Paul confesses that he died to his old self and was consequently made alive in the newness that is accredited to those who choose life. That's what he means, for through the law I died. Now we have to explain the part to the Torah. So we're up to the point now, for through the law I died. We got that part down. But Paul says that he died to Torah. Now this is the part that the Christian commentators pick up on and make the application that Paul died to what? Torah relevance. Torah observance. In other words, Ryan, why are you wearing tzitzit? Why are you keeping kosher? Why are you keeping the Sabbath? Why aren't you dead to the law? Paul's dead to the law. Why aren't you dead to the law? That's the application. Well, it's a misapplication. It's a misunderstanding. What does Paul mean by such a statement that he died to the Torah? Are we to assume that in Yeshua, Paul is now somehow dead to obedience to the Torah? May it never be. Where would Paul get that if that were the case? That's nowhere in Torah. Nowhere in the Torah does the boy teacher lead you to the conclusion that once you reach the Messiah, that you're dead to the boy tutor of sorts. Um, simply put, he now realizes that his new life in the Spirit is a life to be lived without the fear of being condemned as a sinner by the very Torah he previously thought he was upholding. So he's dead to the condemnation of the Torah, if I could just de de decrypt myself. The Torah has a properly installed, built-in function of sentencing sinners to become the object of Hashem's punishment and ultimate rejection, a rejection that will result in the death if the person never, and it's supposed to say chooses, I just realized there's a typo there, but it says choose. The person never chooses the Messiah of life. So the Torah condemns sinners, and the word sinners is the 
ultimate status of a person who is judged by God, by God's righteous standard. On the, in the courtroom of God's um, judgment, the gavel comes down on the person who has no um, way to answer for his crimes of sin. Of course, we all in this room who profess the name of Yeshua, the, the gavel comes down as acquitted because all of our sins have been placed on our, on our, our DA, which is Yeshua. But for those who step into God's courtroom on their own righteousness, on their merit of either being Jewish or proselyte or whatever you want to call it, then the gavel comes down as, nope, sorry, you're a sinner. Because there is no other way. We know that. So that's what Paul's talking about. That's a proper function of the Torah, to condemn sinners. It's not a misuse of Torah. That's proper use of Torah. The Torah condemns sinners. And that's why we know that in one sense, the word sinner is a technical term. It doesn't mean someone who sins. It means someone whose life is characterized by sin to the point to betray that they are not regenerate. That's what we mean when we say sinner. Because obviously we still sin, but we are not characterized by the label sinner. You could say it's a legal term. It's like the criminal enters the court bound in handcuffs. When he enters the court, he's a criminal. But if at the end of the courtroom scene, the judge declares him innocent, then he doesn't leave a criminal. His status has changed. He's now a citizen. He can leave as a citizen. He doesn't go out in handcuffs. So um, at least that's the scene I'm trying to paint. I don't know if the, all the logistics of that are correct, but you guys get the idea. We enter this courtroom as sinners, but we don't leave as sinners. We leave as saints. So you know the old adage, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, I'm not even a sinner. That doesn't mean I don't sin, but I'm not a sinner. Not in the legal sense. I am a saint now. I'm redeemed. I'm the redeemed of God. Or as FFOZ puts it, I'm the righteousness of God in Messiah. So we have a new status. We have a whole new outlook on life, not just because of what Yeshua has done, but because of the continual uh, activity of the Spirit in our lives. So Paul is teaching the Galatians, and specifically when I say the Galatians, I have the Gentile Galatians in view. He's teaching the Galatians that his choice of Yeshua is to be understood as a death of self and the former life that Torah condemned in favor of a new life of serving God through the Spirit. A choice brought on by the revelation of Messiah found within the very pages of the Torah itself. Such freedom in Messiah does not liberate one from Torah. This is the clincher for the church, where they can't get this. Such freedom in Messiah does not liberate one from Torah. Rather, such freedom liberates one to be able to walk in the Torah as properly assisted and seen from God's perspective. So whenever someone says, I'm free, you always always have to ask, free to do what? Well, I'm free from sin. That's not what I asked. What are you free to do? What are you free to sin now? No. In Messiah, if you're free, then you are free to live unto God. That's what biblical freedom is. So often people say, no, 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 we're no longer under the Torah, we're free. Free from sin, right? Yeah, free from sin. But free to do what? They usually don't give you an answer. They just stop. We're no longer in the Torah, we're free. Okay, you're free from sin? Yes, I'm free. They'll, they'll agree. And I agree too. I am free from sin. So you, you Torah students now should be asking them the next question. Free to do what? And then they'll go, they'll stop. Because the picture painted by the Torah is that as a slave, I cannot serve God. Remember, the paradigm is given all the way in the book of Exodus. You have the children of Israel in Egypt and the slave, the taskmaster is Pharaoh and Moses comes in and says, let my people go. But that's not at all that he said. What else did he say? What's the rest of the sentence? That they may worship me. Yeah. The idea is that because they're enslaved, they can't worship me. 
let them free so that they can worship me. So the paradigm of, of, us, of our personal lives is when the Spirit frees us, we're free to worship God. We're not free to violate Torah. That, 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 see, if we, if, we would, if we would think through this using the Torah as our own guideline, then we'd understand that to say, I'm free from the Torah, just doesn't make any sense. Okay. Maybe the Catholics are right. Let's go get the priest. <laughs> I'm just joking. I wouldn't know what sin was. Yeah. He says that later on, by the way. You've read, you've read ahead. Good student. <laughs> Actually, it is. Um, Luther, I'm sorry, not Luther, Calvin, and I don't have the time to develop this, but Calvin described, you can do a web search for this, Calvin's three-point position on the law, or three uses of the law. And one of the uses is to point out sin. Calvin recognizes that. So, they understand that. Yeah. Unfortunately, since I only have five minutes left, you're are gonna you're, you're are you gonna be here in the next who who thinks they're gonna make it for the next fourteen week round? Who well let me say it the other way who doesn't think they'll make it? You don't think they'll make it? Okay, you have to get the, the discs. Um, I hope all the rest of you make it because we'll get into those questions. So um, I can't answer now just because it wouldn't take an, I wouldn't have the I wouldn't be able to do it service huh? Yeah, I'll give you a hint. Part of it has to do, like I said, do you have internet access? Do a Google search for Calvin, and you know who Calvin is, right? Um, don't worry, Google will know who Calvin is. Um, Cal- and, and it won't pull up a picture of that little guy with his stuffed tiger. It'll it'll pull up the right Calvin, okay? Calvin's that was a joke for some of you who didn't catch that. Okay, Calvin's um, three Calvin's three views of the law. Don't put the word Torah in there; you'll confuse Google. Put law in there. Three views of the law, something like that, and then what, whoever writes the article, most of them will. It's all it's all well documented. You can just pull it up out of an encyclopedia, but the Google search will do it for you. Uh, more or less, he breaks the law into a moral, ceremonial, and a civil um, function. And the moral function of the law is still in effect for Christians. Morally, the law comes along and says, "Thou shalt not kill." Therefore, even though you're free in Messiah, you can't violate that that law breaking the sabbath or i'm sorry of killing but the ceremonial part that says thou shalt not break the sabbath that part has been suppressed in calvin's view so people might say well god i mean if you have to be honest with your would you say your in-laws your friends if you be honest with, and they're christians okay if you're honest with you you guys can both start by agreeing don't you agree that sin is that the uh, murder is wrong yes don't you agree that incest is wrong yeah don't you agree that rape is wrong yeah don't you agree that uh, adultery is wrong yeah yeah lying is wrong yeah stealing is wrong yeah yeah you guys will get through the moral parts with no with no well you should i hope with no disagreement but then when you start crossing the border into what they call ceremonial but that you don't call ceremonial because the torah doesn't call ceremonial or moral uh, moral, civil, ceremonial, and moral. That's where it starts getting goofy with the Christian church because they have neatly packaged it into those three boxes. And the box that says ceremonial has things like food laws, Sabbath, all that stuff. See, see, all tied up, you know, packaged up, bundled up, shoved off to the corner for the Jews, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so that's that's the short and quick of it. But let me finish this. It's not very long. <laughs> 
verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. In fact, let me just pause. If Paul is saying that in favor of faith in Messiah, the law is done away with, then what in the heck does he mean in Romans 3, verse 30? Someone look it up for me. 3, 30 and 31. Both verses, yeah. You guys know where I'm going with that. If they say, well, in Messiah, then the Torah is done away with. Really? You're reading David Stern's, right? You're reading Stern's version, right? No, you're not? Okay. Um, not at all, yeah. And it's a rhetorical question. Do we nullify the law? Gosh. Faith nullifies the law? I don't know why Calvin didn't read that verse. I'm, I'm obviously being funny. He read the verse, but... Uh-huh. All Paul read was the Old Testament. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. Okay. By the way, by the way, the reason I had you read the verse prior, was it 30 and 31? Okay. Verse 30 mentioned who, what two groups? Yeah, that's your clue. Whenever Paul's talking about Jews and Gentiles, be careful. It's, it's, the, it's the whole identity thing again. You have to read the whole context. So we can't, we can't just take verse 30, thir, what is it, 31? At, by itself, you have to go, ooh, wait a minute, the context of Jews and Gentiles. It's the, it's the whole thing all packaged together. All right. Verse 21. Let me finish this in the one minute I have left. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Bringing his argument of the previous verses, and indeed the chapters we have it to a close, Paul again reinforces the truth that the righteousness of God is attained for an individual at Christ's expense and not through the rubrics of a man-made conversion ceremony, read here as through the law. The law in question is the oral tradition that only Israel can inherit blessings in the world to come, a belief formerly held to by the apostle himself. To be sure, if being declared righteous, understood to be primarily forensic, but including behavioral as well, could be achieved via the flesh, that is, being born Jewish or converting to Judaism, then truly what need would there be for a Messiah to come and provide it later for anyone? Paul would have the reader to understand that such righteousness is altogether outside of human achievement and therefore must be procured by surrendering to the power of the anointed one of God. And thus we end chapter 2. So, I'm sorry I went so fast at the very end. I really wanted to to, uh, talk about different things. Next week, again, bring little pieces of paper, write down some passages, we'll put them in a hat, mix them up, pull them out at random, and then we'll discuss them as the time allows. And then uh, as far as homework, those of you who are students, again, uh, 300 to 600 words, double-spaced, you know the, the format. Um, pick out three of Paul's passages. State, state of Galatians as far as your homework. But as far as the choice of passages to Midrash on, you can break out of Galatians anything in Paul. Galatians, you know, Corinthians, Galatians, Romans, whatever we want. But for the homework, just stick to Galatians. Tell me why you think those passages were difficult. If they're still difficult, tell me why you think so. I just want to kind of gauge where you're at and kind of interact with you. And since it's the last class, I'll bring your graded homework uh, as well, as well as the one that you bring me. I'll have to give that to you later. So Does that make sense? Great, let's close. Abba, we bless your name. We say thank you. Father, for uh, being faithful to us once again in this class. Um, Learning can be fun, and we seek to um, make it a fun experience at the same time challenging. Uh, We thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us the desire to press in and to learn more of you. We know that this is from you, and we know that you are in it. And so we seek to glorify your name, Father, as we study the pages of your word. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be um, gracious to one another. Help us to walk it out. 
because that's what matters. Thank you, Father, for all that you do in Yeshua's name. Amen. You're all dismissed. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>